Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. We come to you, well, I don't know if we really wanted to record this weekend, but it was a, it was a bit of a, a last week, lost weekend um, that we are coming to you after, and uh, it's not, not, a, not an ideal one. Yeah, that one good. That one good. Uh, not at all. Um, we we both took L's in both football and and basketball, but I guess where do we begin? I guess we can start with with football. Uh, it was obviously always the biggest game of the year, and it was largely kind of what we talked about. We we predicted it to be this kind of wild shootout with very little defense played, and that's what it ended up being. Unfortunately, we came out on the wrong end of that shootout in this game. Uh, what did what did you think? We were both at the game, so that was fun. It was a great crowd. I mean, yeah. what do you have, what do you have to say about this, Kevin? I, I think we start there. Uh, it was a great game. It, it was an iconic game, as Lincoln Riley called it afterwards. One that was worthy of the rivalry and the stage and the moment. Um, so, so definitely was a special game to, and it was great to be there. You know, the the atmosphere, the arena. I really wish they had taken off those tarps, um, even if it meant some more SC fans would get in there, because because the, the arena was it was electric, and when you talk to people who watch the game on TV, they felt it was even louder on TV than maybe we felt it was uh, in in the stadium. So you know, definitely something that was worthy of the moment. I think you look back on it, and we said before that there would be three overall keys to this one, right? Um, and the first one, I think. And the most obvious reason to me for why we lost was was the quarterback. And it comes down to, you know, Caleb Williams versus DTR. And, and, and on this one, it seems like we maybe lost to the best player in college football right now, um, if, if we really just want to be blunt about it. Um, 470 yards uh, through the air, and we knew our secondary was weak. But 470, that, that really puts a number on us there. And then, you know, I think line of scrimmage was more or less even between the two teams. Um, I would give a slight edge there to SC, but but not not by much. And then the turnovers, um, you know, we, we this was going to be a, a shootout, a tennis match, and it was going to be who could break serve and hold serve then from there. And UCLA broke serve in that first half. We took the two-score lead, and then, you know, that the, the end of the half I think will be talked about for a very long time from now on. Both the first drive that started with about a minute 20 left, where we had timeouts, couldn't make anything happen, um, didn't run the ball, uh, where we had had in the first half been very effective at doing that, and then threw a pick, got lucky, got away with it, they, they, they missed a kick, and got it right back, and threw another pick, you know, with, with 40 seconds left, and, and I think... This is going to cause a lot of conversation. Was that the right thing to do at the end of the half? I I was okay with being aggressive at the end of the half, only for this reason. This was going to be a tennis match type of game. And if we can get points there and get the ball back, that would be a kind of a double break opportunity there. What I wasn't okay with was how we approached those those drives, uh, which was, you know, that first one with timeouts. You know, we the first half we had run pretty well and put ourselves in... in obvious passing situations where SC was able to come up with some turnovers. And the second drive, it took us a solid 20 seconds to get that first first down. 
So at that point, you know, when it you take so long to get that first first down, you have about what sub 20 seconds left to go down the rest of the field. That's the point when I would start taking my medicine and go into the locker room and and we didn't do that and obviously through the interception and then the infamous timeout at the end of the half which ends up, you know, unfortunately being the difference of the game, 3 points. So, all in all, I would say, you know, those those are the main things um, that that kind of stood out to me. Yeah, I think there were similar things I pinpointed here, uh, factors that really caused us to lose this game. There were really three things, I and and they were pretty pretty on point with what you just mentioned. But uh, you know, DTR has been the subject of a lot of conversation throughout. His tenure here, five years, I admire the kid. You know, I was a critic of him, I will admit that. But I admire the kid for growing as a player, as a person over the five years, and and becoming a guy who has been very, very good for UCLA. That being said, a lot of this game was on him. You you cannot turn the ball over four times in this game. As a fifth-year senior leader... As the guy who, you know, was talking so much trash the week before the game, you just can't do it. I don't, I do not discount his heart. I do not discount his toughness or his grit. He displayed all of that. It was all, he left it all out on the field, but you just, you can't, you can't throw those three interceptions. You can't fumble the ball that many times. The other two reasons I think that you mentioned briefly are, are, were similar to what you, what you talked about were, and they're, they're related in many ways. It was the time management and the clock management on Chip Kelly's part and the play calling in key situations on Chip Kelly's part. I think both of these things reared their heads in, in the Arizona game as well. Um, but they really showed off here. Those, those situations that you mentioned, again, Calling timeouts when we probably shouldn't have, and not managing those the play the play clock very well there, and and giving SC that opportunity, and then the play calling uh, with the time management, especially in that last drive where we you know had the ball with a couple minutes left, we were only down three, and we were just and we had over we had at least I think two timeouts, two timeouts and maybe yeah, three we had two timeouts. And we could have run the ball, which we've been doing effectively all game long. Yet we decided to keep throwing the ball for whatever reason. Like we were panicking, like we didn't have enough time and that we didn't have timeouts. And we were throwing the ball with a QB that had clearly been turning the ball over all game long at this point. So why risk it? I, you know, DTR through the interception and we lost the game and you know you can blame DTR but I also think part of that reason the reason or part of the blame should go on chip for even calling those plays when we could have been running the ball and it was the same situation against Arizona a similar situation where we panicked and started taking shots in the into the end zone when we could have been just driving the ball down the field for a easier um uh touchdown throw which we also end up losing in this situation, we didn't even need a touchdown. If we just driven down the field and even gotten into field goal territory, right? 
you you lose the game on missing a field goal, and obviously our kicking game has not been great, but you can live with that. But we didn't even get to that point. We didn't even give our guys the shot to get to that point. I get going for the win there, but you could have still run the ball there and still uh, scored a touchdown, in my opinion. And, and that's all on chip. Yeah, that, that's why I put more of those turnovers. Look, I, the game kind of sums up DTR's career, right? It, it, it's heart, passion where he came from for when he started here to now it's 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 night and day and look i mean we, we've had some good quarterbacks here and and i think in the end we're going to remember dtr as a warrior and as as a, as a guy who gave it his all for the school and in many ways he's you know it's it's the guy who makes incredible plays that plays with that passion that just makes you love him as a player and then makes those mistakes that just kind of breaks breaks your back but then those mistakes, again, this is, I think, a summation of his career. The mistakes he does make could have been avoided if it was for if the coaches put him in a better position to make a play. Um, and I think that I, I felt that all throughout his career. You know, the, the early parts of his career, it was like, why aren't we, we – we're trying to treat him like he's Peyton Manning. Um, drop back and, and read, read coverages and slice and dice people that way instead of completely – and just ignoring his legs. This year, we, we go more towards his legs and we kind of maximize what he had. But again, he, he he's not Caleb Williams. He never was that level of a player of Caleb Williams. And so you do need a, a strong running game, a strong set of players to complement him, which we have. And once again, you, you look at the summation of this game, and in the second half, it looked like SC made an emphasis in the second half to come out and try to shut down the run. Um, and, and the right side of our offensive line, I thought, really struggled in that second half, especially run blocking. Um, John Gaines, DiGiorgio, both on the first level blocks were getting beat and Charbonnet because of that was getting hit in the backfield and was either getting kind of zero one or twos over there. And it seemed like that happened a couple times. We just kind of gave up on the run from there. Um, like, and, and I think if you ask Chip, he'll say that's because we were down by two scores, but it just felt like, like our offense has never relied on the run to control clock. It was relying on the run to keep moving the ball and keep the pace moving. And Seemed like we kind of gave that gave up on that, and then in the both the two minute drives, I think that's where that becomes most uh, you know meaningful, especially the last one because if you listen to Chip's explanation of the pick, um, you know what happens on that play is that a defensive lineman's dropping into coverage uh, into the area where the ball is supposed to go, and in pre snap it doesn't look like that's going to be a thing, but then post snap the defensive end is there and it ended up in an interception, and that's where you know again. Chip Kelly's supposed to be the offensive mastermind here. He's supposed to be the one that's ahead of the other defensive coaches. You know, Alex Grinch, who who's hardly ahead of anything on defense, if I'm, if I'm really being honest with you. And in the second half, I mean, they, a couple drives, they, they stopped the run, then started dropping their, their linemen into coverage, and we, we didn't have a counter for it. And ultimately, I think you got to put that on chip, and that that's kind of where we're at now. Um you, know, you can blame DTR all you want. You can blame the defense all you want, but the defense did its job. It got the one stop that you could expect it to get. At the end yeah, of the day, yeah, I was. That's you know, exactly what I was going to say. We didn't even mention the defense because it did its job. What we needed it to do. You know, we got the break of serve back, right? And we had a chance to hold there and go and win the game. And again, you got to look at Chip for all of it. Um, you know, now we're now we're in game. What we're we're eight and three now. We're about to go to game twelve. It's time to evaluate you know, where we are in the season. After the SC game is always the time to evaluate that. And our defense, you know, after five years of this, has not gotten any better. It's basically the same. 
on offense, you know, we have a very good offense. We have schematically a very good offense. But those key moments, again, if you're building your team like this, where you're basically going to go all in on your offense and your defense is just supposed to get a couple of stops, then you've got to be perfect at this stuff. Um, and, and while Chip has been good at this, I don't think he's been perfect. Like, I, I, the, other, the other coach on the other side, um, I would say this year he has been close to perfect because SC's kind of the same way, right? I mean, their defense has struggled most of the year. They've been in a lot of close games. And in the end, they were, their coach is putting that quarterback and those play, skill players in a position to go win a game. Um, and there, there's a lot of angles we can go at this from this. Recruiting, defense, coaching, um, offensive game management. At the end of the day, it's on the coach. Well, exactly, right? You can talk about the, the talent gap, which I think was evident again in this game to some degree. But they, that you're right, that's on the coach. You can maximize those the offense a lot easier when you have the level of talent that Southern Cal has. Even on defense, you can maximize it. You can get away with a lot more on defense if you have the athletes and the the level of talent that some other teams have. We just, we did it on either side of the ball this year. And so that was the problem is we had to rely on DTR, heroic, Charbonnet heroics, and, and some Bobo thrown in there for good measure to, to bail us out. But besides those three or four guys, like, we had nothing else. SC has a whole army of five-star wide receivers that they recruit, right? So you, you have a guy like Mario Williams go down, or you have a guy like uh, Addison who's playing banged up. You still have, like, three other dudes you can throw the ball up to. Um, you see, have uh, you have uh, die go down, and you still have Rodrigue Brown to run the ball. Like, and that I think that that's the the problem here. And that again, we've been talking about recruiting for a long time now, and it reared its ugly head. And it's it's on Chip Kelly. It is on Chip Kelly. And you know, going into game twelve now against Cal, who who is a bad team, I. It doesn't even matter if we win this game. <laughs> like, so we're going to win the game. It, it, Cal is really bad. We're going to win the game. Um, and we might look. Win we said the same thing about Arizona. Fest. No, no, I'll say it more about Cal than Arizona has an offense. So that, that, that there is that a, is a path there to 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 get a get an upset. Cal Cal is a shambles. Um, so so it, it, it's going to be probably an ugly game, right? I it'd be I'd find it hard pressed to to find our players to be awake fully this week and getting ready completely for Cal. Uh, to go out and get a ninth win, but so I think it'll be a, kind of a sloppy game. But in the end, we'll probably win, and we'll probably get to nine and three, and then we'll see who we play in the bowl game. But we, again, you know, the post SC game is usually a great time to to evaluate the program and evaluate everything that's going on. Um, I didn't want to do that last week because no, you know, right? It, we had this big game to play, and look in a in a micro view, it was a great game against what looks to be a pretty good team and it was two good teams going at it and we we came up a play short so in the micro view it's that in the macro view um you know we we've gone now five years of this and we have to look at you know again the problem here again i i always compare this to what it was with lonzo ball and steve alford um, and why ucla fans were so upset at the end of that year it's not because we have these expectations that we should go to the, the final four every year the problem was that you know that year was a magical, fun year with a really great couple players, um, with a, and a coach that hadn't proven anything at any point in his career. But 
you know, especially at UCLA, and that season was a lot of fun, and then we go at the end, we lose to Kentucky, and then it, it just kind of hits you in the face. What's next here? Because we're about to lose all these players, and the foundations of the program are, are not very good. We don't play good defense. We don't have a proper, you know, sustainable style if we don't have the, this level of players. It's the same thing here. Um, you know, we're, we're about to pr- probably go 9-3. We'll see if we play in the bowl game. You know, depending on the matchup, we would probably have a chance there at a 10th win. But we're going to lose now a fifth-year quarterback, and, and a fifth-year quarterback is really rare in today's college football. Um, and, and a fifth-year quarterback was really productive for us this year. We're going to lose Zach Charbonnet, who's probably having one of the better single seasons uh, as a running back in UCLA football history. We're going to lose Liatulatu, probably our only you know serviceable next-level defensive player. And we're going to lose Jake Bobo. So what is the approach from here? It's really unlikely we're going to fire Chip Kelly for so many reasons. Uh, he has a lot of big donor support. Uh it, it would cause a stir in the coaching community if we're firing coaches after 8-4 and four and 9-3 and three season. No matter what we think of it as fans, that, that, that stuff matters to coaches. And so I, I find it really hard to believe we're going to fire Chip Kelly. So what's the approach forward? And you know, if Chip Kelly is going to take the transfer portal approach, if that's the way we're going to go, I think you've got to get even better players than we got right now from the transfer portal because that's what the other team did. Right, like they went and got the best quarterback in the transfer portal, the best running back in the transfer portal, the best receiver in the transfer portal, and some really good, whatever they could find as the best versions of them on defense, and they put together that team. Can Chip do that? Because, because again, we're looking for a sustainable path now going forward. You know, something where we can get a respectable eight, nine, and plus wins every year. The problem is not that we're going to go nine and three, maybe ten and three. It's that we don't know when when this is coming again. Like this kind of a season with this kind of a chance to compete for the conference. I don't see a path forward here, honestly. Uh, I just I can't realistically see Chip recruiting at that kind of level, especially with some of the NIL limitations that UCLA has right now. I. We don't have the talent pool. We don't have the guys waiting in the wings to replace all those people you just mentioned. So I don't... There's nothing there. I don't see how we're going to play defense any better anytime soon. You know, whether or not Bill McGovern comes back, I think is irrelevant at this point. Like, even with McGovern, the defense was playing better, but not good. Granted, I will say we improved, but, you know... Hopefully, um, Bill comes back healthy and we he can build off what he was doing this year, maybe. But still, with the lack of talent on the defense, it, it still caps off the the level of defense we can play here. And we just don't have the athletes and the players on that front. I, you know... Uh, nine and three, eight and four season, this is exactly... The situation we talked about in preseason that we didn't want to be in. This was the, this is the the perfect storm of like, look, Chip Kelly just won enough games to where it's like on paper looks like a pretty solid season. Yet, you know, when you dig beneath the surface, and for anybody who's been following knows that this is a complete wasted season. But national perception is not that it's a complete waste season. It's, hey, UCLA had a pretty solid season. We, you can't fire Chip for the reasons you mentioned. Chip isn't really going to get hired anywhere because, you know, he, 
he's not going to get a head coaching job elsewhere. He's not going to make a jump into the NFL with that those kind of numbers and these wins. And there's no foreseeable path future, uh, path forward. So we're kind of stuck in this pretty shitty situation where it's like, are we just going to get more of this? Where every five years we're going to get like an eight and four, nine and three type season? Like what? 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 Yeah, like something needs to give here. Like. I think a big boy football program would fire him here. I really do. Like, we've seen coaches get fired with similar types of seasons. And we know Chip Kelly has friends in the media. And I think we, I, I think the right move would be to get rid of him here and take the reputation hit for whatever you want to say. The key, though, there is who are we going to hire? And I just, we would, we need to be creative here. But I don't think it's going to happen. Should it happen? I th- I think so. I think I think the foundations of this program are too shaky. Yeah, to we can talk to the blue in the face about this. Chip this Kelly's season. coming back next year, and so with that, I think we just have to look at what can we do going forward, because we shouldn't expect him to do something he hasn't done now for five years. So he's not going to hire an elite defensive coaching staff. He's not going to put his coaching money towards that. He's not going to go and all of a sudden make an emphasized a greater emphasis on high school recruiting. He's not going to do it. So what has he shown he is willing to do? He's willing to go to the transfer portal. And we have two examples now of programs who have flipped the switch with the transfer portal, USC and LSU. And they both went out and got elite players. And, and USC, our cross-on rival, is a great example. An elite coach went out and got the best players possible in the transfer portal. With Caleb Williams, they got Jordan Addison, Travis Dye. They got the best quarterback, the best running back, the best wide receivers. They got pretty much close to the best available defensive players that they could to just shuffle the pack and, sure. and make their defense a little but serviceable. But you got to bring in like not the best. You got to bring in like 40 transfers and chip like go they and did, get right? that level of talent from the transfer portal because he's not right. getting it from high school. He's not getting it I mean right now the, the guys we got on the transfer portal on defense they're, they're good guys but none of them are really next level players. We can't expect to go get people from Harvard and then expect to go and compete for conference championships like that's not a realistic thing. So can we go and find the best players at these positions, the elite players within the realm of what UCLA can admit and whatnot? Because those players are out there. We've gotten good players with all those, with the academic standards and all that. Like the, the, It has been done before at UCLA. So can Chip now use the transfer portal to even greater heights than before? That's, I think, the question. Because, again, the problem is not that we are about to go 9-3. and three. The problem is that there is not a sustainable path forward given we're about to lose the complete linchpins of our nine and three team. Right. Right. No, I, I absolutely agree. I think, and I hate keeping this comparison going with Southern Cal, but when you look at them, right, they brought in all those transfers and very high level transfers and a lot of transfers the thing that they did though is they have they you know Lincoln Riley has recruited high school now really heavily, and they've gotten a lot of 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 very good high school recruits. So it's just like they they were smart about it in the sense that okay, you have this one stop gap year with a bunch of you know kind of rental type players. 
that then you can build off of. And if you start recruiting those younger guys out of high school now, you can actually build a future path for, with this program. I think we we missed the boat on that at this point. Like, we had those players that could have given Chip Kelly time to build that. He's been here for five fucking years now. Like, he hasn't done any of it. And the fact that we're sitting here in five years and being like, what is the path forward of this program? Just because our one QB that he's had the whole time is leaving, like, is absurd. I'm not as worried about the running game. I think we'll find a running back. We'll figure something out. But you're losing the most important uh, position on your team, and you don't really have, you know, uh, you have um, Garbers behind him, who's been good, but, like, behind him, who is there? Not a whole lot. And, like, on the defense, like, nothing. There's, there's, There's no path forward here. There's no path forward here. The problem is, the problem is even this year, we didn't have the guys to get there consistently. We faltered in the biggest moments of the season when we needed to keep keep up the offensive pressure. Like, we couldn't do it because we didn't have the depth and the talent beyond some of those starters to to sustain it. We saw it against Arizona. We Like, the offense didn't play very well. We saw it against Arizona State for a little bit. The offense didn't play very well for parts of that game. Like, yes... The guys that start and the, guy, the, the star players can help sustain that and will perform at that level. But beyond that, even on offense, the talent level wasn't high enough, I think, to consistently do that over 10 games or 12 games. we are or you know how 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 talented our offensive line is and how well we're playing up there and and we ran the ball well but I think that was much more of a schematic thing than it was the actual talent level to where if we had real talent there is where you'd see a big difference at receiver is kind of the same thing right you have Jake Bobo and a bunch of guys were utility guys but then not really every down people that you got to guard they scare you so yeah I mean I'm with you. We got to see what we can find next. Yeah, let's see what happens against Cal. Uh, I'm not as convinced that we're going to win this game. It feels like we really have nothing to play for. Uh, we, Regardless of if we win this game or not, we're probably going to the same mid-tier, lower-tier bowl as we would. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean... I don't even know if we're going to get invited to like the Holiday Bowl after last year's debacle. So who knows where we're going to end up? I, I've seen projections for the Las Vegas Bowl. Like you know, it's it's just going to be a a sad sad bowl when you kind of think about where we were three weeks ago and where what could have been. Yep, and and again to round it out, the the the, the problem is not that 
we are going to go to you know the Las Vegas Bowl this year. The problem is that we didn't go to the Las Vegas Bowl the previous years, and this is the first year we've even been in the conversation. Like, but what you talked about that you know we faltered at the end of this year. I, I'm even past. I'm past you know trying to. I, I'm I'm past just winning these games and like getting the prizes. Like, I, I, at this point, I would take being in the conversation every year, and to do that, like this was the first year we did it, and it doesn't look like. You know, it's hard to believe that it's coming again with all the guys we're losing. So we'll have to see because um, more than likely we're, we're, we're back at this for another year. Yeah. Uh, next season's probably going to be a, more, a lot more rough than this year. So, so. next season's non-conference, if you take a look at it, is once again, you know, very soft. It's, it's extremely soft. But the 2024 season... Um, that's when when this gets real ugly and and but and so next season's non-conference you do have to go to san diego state so i guess that is there um but otherwise it's it's two very like lower division teams 2024 our first year in the big 10 we go to lsu and and lsu at this point they're already in year one of ryan kelly is seems to be rolling and yeah and we play fresno state at home and that's going to be with a big Ugh. 10 schedule so that Ugh. to me is, and again, I, I just I keep going back to that comparison. This is Steve Alford, Lonzo Ball. We went through that year, and because we had that year, it was like, oh well, you know, we're going to give this guy more time. And the next year, he came out, and it was a, a mediocre year where we lost in the first four, but you know, still didn't fire him then because it's like, hey, well, they made the tournament. And then finally, the next year, it became a dumpster fire, and that's when we finally let him go. I I feel like that's the road. This is if I had to pick that where this is heading down right now. It's it's a lot worse than the Steve Alford scenario, in my opinion, because at least Steve Alford could recruit. There was at least talent coming into the into the, the program, like the talent that Steve Alford recruited. I, obviously, I'm not arguing he was a good coach. He was an awful coach. I hate Steve Alford, but yep. at least you know there were guys coming in like Mick Cronin built a whole Final Four run on the backs of some of those guys that he recruited to UCLA. So at least there was that from some semblance of a path forward. Like we can't even say that about chip. Yep. We can't, <laughs> we really can't. Well, speaking of Steve Alford, I guess we're not, we, we, we're not coached by Steve Alford anymore, but I think, we we did play other games this weekend and other sports that also didn't turn out so well, did they? Yeah, that was um, again. I, I was, <laughs> in some ways, more upset about this game against Illinois than the Baylor game. So those are the two teams we ended up playing, and we just yeah we really shit the bed on Friday night. Yeah, so you know, UCLA goes to Vegas and loses both games. The first one by nine to Illinois, but doesn't really feel like a nine-point game because we were up by fifteen, and then from that point it was just a shellacking. Um, you know, losing the rest of the way by twenty-four points to end up losing by nine at the end, and then losing to Baylor by five. Um, you know, let, let, let's talk about the Illinois game first because obviously it was that press. 
the, we took the 15 point lead with at about you know the 17 minute mark in the second half, and they threw a press at us. And I think this is the most. I, I think two things are really disappointing to me from the weekend. Um, one is that you know, at least in the Illinois game, it looked like we reverted back to how like Mick reverted back to how he coached tight in some of those games last year where. He's only going to play the really specific guys that he plays and only give them the ball. Um, and then the real disappointing thing in the Illinois game was that those were the people that kind of, I think, let us down. Um, you know, Tiger turning the ball over against the press, against Illinois. I've never seen him make team struggle against the press because we practice it. Um, we've always broken presses really well. Like, we play some of the really more tougher pressing teams in the country when we play teams like Oregon. Arizona sometimes can throw out a press, but, but Oregon always does. And we usually are pretty good at that. Um, and th this was kind of the first time I saw us struggle as much as we did. And then, you know, once they punched us, uh, we, we didn't have a punch back. And, and I think that kind of goes for both games. Um, you know, it, it just looked like we weren't ready for, for that level yet. And I'm not entirely sure why. It was a weird, weird game. Like, you can't look at your senior potential all-star players right now and be like, those are guys that are going to be All-Americans, which is bizarre. You would think that those guys were playing at the higher levels, but, and they're just, they're not right now for some reason. And I don't, I can't pinpoint why. I think Jaime seems like he's pressing a little bit too much. And we saw him get a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more assertive on offense in those, uh, that Baylor game, but even in um, the second half of the the game against Illinois, he just, I don't know, didn't look like his normal self. He bullied them a little bit in the first half, but that second half, we could not sustain anything. And Tiger, I, I just, yeah, the press, I've never seen him bother by. And just, he just kept turning the ball over and over and over it's it's a little disconcerting. Like it's it's you shouldn't be the number eight country or team in the country with three guys starting that have been there for three, four, five years, and be one that bothered by the press. But more even importantly, like you shouldn't give up a fifteen point lead when you're playing that well for one half. Like the consistency just isn't there yet, and it's it's a little bizarre, especially since. Those first three games, we saw them playing at a pretty high level. And obviously the talent level of the opponents really jumped up. But against Illinois, I just it was weird. Um, we just let them shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot the three-point. And they buried us with it in that second half. Yeah, I, I think you got to put, again... Um... The, the seniors and and how they did that that was that was disappointing. I think once again you gotta you gotta look at Mick on this on, on this one right now and you know, I, I said before the year that you know, I, I don't want to hear this stuff about us having a young team. Um, this is modern college basketball now. At a school like UCLA, you're gonna have roster turnover, and having two guys like that come back along with Dave Singleton and Jalen Clark. That's as good as it gets in, in modern college basketball in, in terms of guys returning and having continuity. 
And that kind of comes with coaching at a place like UCLA, you know, being able to manage, you know, that kind of turnover while having a system in place that you're comfortable with. And you mentioned Jaime pressing a little bit. It, it seemed like our offense, when, when things got tight, it was just like, let's do the Tiger and, Tiger and Jaime two-man game, and we will live and die by that and nothing else. And sure, like, when we're in March at the end of the year, um, if we want to go back to that for some place, like, that's one thing. But we're going to need these other guys to come around if we're going to do anything at, at this year. And, and look, like, last year, you know, we, Mick had some goodwill because that Final Four team, he did do that. He let them grow through it. He let them grow through all those pains. Um, and in many reasons, because that, those are the guys he had, he had to do it. And we earned the benefits of that in that tournament run where, yes, Johnny Juzang had a great run there, but then everyone was kind of involved. You had Cody Riley hitting big baskets at the end. You had you know, a lot of teams pressing on one guy and then the ball would go to the other. Right now is the time to figure that out for, for this team. And, and I, I think we did that to some extent in the second game you know, against Baylor. Um, in, in the second game against Baylor, I think you know, maybe it's because of foul trouble. Maybe it's because of you know whatever it was. Mick counted on those guys a lot more, and I thought we played a lot better because of it. And I thought those our our guys got better because of it. Um, and look in the in the micro view, you know, yes, we played well against Baylor. It's going to be another very good Baylor team. Um, you know, they're they're very strong again. They're going to be at a top three team again in the Big 12, which is the best basketball league in America. But the other side of this is that, you know, we're supposed to be at that level and right, it, we're not right now. And, and that's a little disappointing. Yeah. That Baylor game. I, I agree. We played definitely a lot better. And I, I, this goes back to your point of Mick, just coaching a little too tightly. I thought when we had guys like Dylan Andrews and, the energy level just exploded to some degree. And those guys played really well. And for whatever reason, Mick didn't play them as much as I thought he should have in that second half. Because when they were in the game, we made runs and we were were hanging tough and playing uh, good basketball with them on the floor. And then we went back to kind of the original lineup. I, I, I did, we didn't see as much Bailey in the second half. We just, you know, who's been struggling, but, He's still playing with effort, and I just it was a weird coaching decision. I thought when Dylan Andrews was in the game, particularly, we looked a lot better. The ball was moving, right? I think we're at our best, right? This team is at its best when the ball moves. We're not an isolation team anywhere where we got to draw ISO looks for guys like Johnny and and Jules and and Jaime. Um, This team is at its best when, and Mika said this, when the ball is moving around. but again, like w- these these guys are young, they're gonna make some mistakes, and can make stomach that because the ball, even in that Baylor game when Dylan and all those guys were in there, the ball moved and it looked good. But then there's a few turnovers in there, and that's just he, he can't take it. It just you can see it in his face. And the Baylor game, we cut the game close, we took the lead, and then the second half was kind of back and forth and back and forth. And and the big turning point to me was we kind of took it out of everyone else's hands, and went back to the two-man game and dump it to Jaime and live or die by that. And that became very, very predictable. It became very isolationist, inefficient. And that, to me, is where we kind of let the game get away. Aside from the fact that, again, defensively, we're not up to it right now at the level that we need to be and probably will be. Um, that's the stuff that I think will get better through the, as, as the year goes on. I'm still disappointed that it's not where it should be right now because, again, 
this whole thing about the team is young, like it, we're gonna have to get through that. But I think defensively we'll get better. I think some of these young guys will get better. But can we let them play through this right now and improve to a level where we can be ready for the biggest games? And by the way, those games are not in March anymore. Um, losing these two games means for us to get where we want to get this year, we probably have to win some of those games in December um, against Kentucky and Maryland, who both look like like pretty good teams. So, you know that that's that's the and that's where we got to I think use these next two games before we start conference play against Stanford. Look, this team is going to be a. a, con, a tournament team like that that I don't think is even in the conversation it's just a matter of seeding right so you're right we need to win some of these games to make sure that we get a a good seed to maximize our potential in the tournament Pac-12 isn't going to give us that opportunity the Pac-12 just is as schizophrenic as ever and just nobody knows what's going to happen one day from one day to the next because <laughs> you'll see a team beat a ranked opponent and then lose to like a D2 team. So it's like, it's a wild, wild ride in the Pac-12. So we can't rely on that to strengthen our schedule or, you know, help with uh, RPI and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we need, we need to win these games. Um, but before we even get to those games, like we just need to get right against Pepperdine, against um, Denver, Bellarmine, um, like there's a couple of these games in the middle that we need to just level set a little bit and like get, get our guys feeling confident again. Cause we can't, we can't play the way we did against, um, these good teams going forward. Yeah. we'll see what we're made of. Uh, we got hit in the mouth now. Uh, let's, let's see what we're made of now. Um, you and know, it's early in the season. It's only it's earlier in the year. Look, we're going to get better. It's it, it's not about that. Um, but the expectations that for this year are that we will be an elite team, and that's what we want to see by the end. Uh, you know, are we are we in the conversation for those top three seeds? Um, are we at, in the conference race all the way to the very end, and with a very good shot of, of winning it, if not ahead? The one thing with the Pac-12 now is, you know, Arizona, they've started the season pretty strongly. Um, last night went and beat San Diego State, which we did beat them in scrimmage, so, you know, we'll, we'll give that. They're going to play Creighton tonight, and they still got, you know, some tough non-conference games. So we can't take it for granted that the, that the conference is just going to be for, there for us too because Arizona does look to be a tough out, and I expect Oregon to get better. They played better against Houston um, you know, than, than they had before that, and we're going to play them, you know, shortly too. So these next two games – we really got to get right because I think when I, we're nowhere near panic mode right now, right? That, that's not where we're at. But we go to Stanford and lose uh, on December 1st. That starts to get to panic mode. Like Stanford or Oregon, if we lose one of those games before the big East Coast games come up, that's when it starts to get scary. We're not going to lose to Stanford. <laughs> you sound like me and Cal for football. Yeah, but I have a lot more faith in our basketball team than anybody should in our football team. Like, Stanford is bad at basketball this year. And, you know, we, we took it on the chin, but we lost to two good teams. Let's, not, let's, let's put this in perspective. Like, Illinois, I think, was overrated, and I think will compete for their conference. Underrated. Baylor is, sorry, underrated. You were correct. I cannot speak. I I think they're an underrated team, and I think they're going to compete for the the Big Ten. 
I think Baylor is is going to be as good as they always are. And and the fact that we played as well as we did against Baylor and had opportunities to actually beat them, even though we're not playing at that high of a level, I think shows what the potential of this team can be. And I'm not ready to panic yet. Stanford isn't those teams. So if we lose to Stanford, it's going to be a problem. But that's down the road. We need to beat Pepperdine tonight, which I, I – Hope we can uh, dispatch pretty easily. I think they're back to that level of play. We'll or, see how angry we are, right? Because because again, they're they're four and one, um, and again that they're, they're not they're not a great team by any means. But they're they're four and one, and we'll, we'll see what we're, if we're if we're up to it tonight. Because I think Mick is going to want everyone to come up with the same focus and intensity. And again, Pepperdine, Bellarmine. This is the time when you need to get these other things, um, you know, ready. You, you can't just have a two-man game of Jaime and Tiger and expect that to bail you out all the time. Get these guys going. Get a role for Amari Baylor. Get a role for Dylan Andrews. Um, find a consistent way that you can get Jalen Clark the ball on offense, not just on defense. Um, and then on defense, like this is where we gotta start getting pride over these next four games and just start like shutting up shop. Because against again, Baylor is a one of the better offensive teams in the country, um, you know, and, and they will be once again this year. But late in that game, just we couldn't get a stop. Um, we, we just could not get a stop. And Illinois was kind of the same deal in the second half. We kind of got hit in the mouth there, and then that big man uh, just kept getting buckets. Whenever Danger. Danger, yeah. And then Tanner Shannon obviously got hot. That was kind of like Caleb Love in the tournament. Um, you know, we got to get some pride and, and, and buckle up and, and really just – start suffocating teams that it, it's one thing to hold these teams to lower shooting percentages, but they're not going to shoot very well anyways. That's, that's why they're the lower major schools, but you know, big man defense, perimeter defense, keeping guys in front of us and not having to switch and, and, and overcompensate. That's what I'm looking for in these next couple games. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. I know, the reports after the Baylor game was Mick was furious with the team, as, as he should be. I think there's conflicting feelings. People in the media are like, why is he mad? Why wouldn't he? I, I don't understand that aspect. Yeah. Like, oh, he's mad at players. He's throwing them on. I, I don't think he's throwing anybody under the bus, really. He's, he's, he's always called it like it is to some degree. Um, you know, I think he made his mistakes in these last two games. But he needs to. But at the same time, he needs to hold these guys accountable. Even if these guys, two or three of them, have been the guys that he's gone to for the last two, three years, went to a Final Four for him, doesn't mean he shouldn't hold them accountable and call them out. You know, within the team, if he needs to. I, I just, I, I, I don't think he can let anybody coast, regardless of the contributions that they've given to the team at this point. And if he's yelling at them after the game. Um, and he's saying that we're not at the defensive level that we need to be, which he's absolutely right about. I don't, I don't see a problem with that. I, people are just soft. Yeah, and that's I no that's Cronin. Yelling. I had no problem with him yelling at them. I had no problem with all that. Again, the coach should know what he's got in his locker room. If they can respond to that, then great. You know, like at the end of the day, you just got to win. And and if, they, if they're going to be able to respond um, to to that kind of coaching, then then by all means, go ahead and do it. The stuff about at the end of the game about you know, uh, you know he, he made the comments about how some of these like higher rated people are gonna have their circle telling him that 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 he's the problem, he being Mick, and that you know they're not getting their stats because of him. Um, 
even all that, look, you can say what you want, but like what I'll say about that is this, um, you're not the only one that deals with that, right? Like it, that, it kind of goes with, co again, coaching at a high school, high major, you know, elite school like UCLA, you know, that's this, that's kind of stuff comes with the territory. You're going to have agents floating around. You're going to have handlers floating around. You're recruiting highly, highly touted players because you're at a school that can get those players. And, and that kind of stuff all comes with the territory. So, you know, that kind of stuff, it's fine. Say it to the media, do what you want to do. But that, that comes with, with coaching at UCLA. And, you know, our expectations this year for this team are very high. So at the end of the day, just, you, you got to just go and win. That's all. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's only room to go up from this point. So we'll be, we'll be okay as long as we, we put in the work. And I think Mick will make sure that we put in the work here. And we have reinforcements coming. You know, Will McClendon is expected to come back in December. And I don't know how much he'll be able to contribute, but that's another guy who can shoot the ball. Um, and as Mac gets healthier, that'll be help help some of the interior defense and um, hopefully give give us some more depth so guys can get a breather uh, as the games progress. So we'll see what happens. I think we'll be we're we're still okay. Nah, still okay. no reason, no reason yeah, no, to no, panic. No, no panic alarms, but but just keep getting better from here. Yeah. Um, Real quickly, on the women's side, though, we, we ended up winning the Atlantis, uh, Battle for Atlantis, knocking off a ranked Tennessee team. And, uh, you know, Kiki Rice is looking as uh, as advertised, just an excellent player. And, and that was kind of a, a fun fun run to watch. So look out for the those Bruins over there on that side of the court. I think we'll, we'll make some noise this season with that team. Yeah, so uh, in the latest women's bracketology now, uh, the, our, our Lady Bruins are up to a three uh, seed projected right now, uh, and still still room to go up. So uh, this, the the hyped the the famed number one recruiting class that we got so far is delivering, and yeah, good on them, good good, good on Coach Close and and good on good on our Lady Bruins. Yeah, there's there's always those Stanford matchups looming uh, for for UCLA with the, in the Pac-12, so those are always fun. And we, we usually play them tough, so we'll see what happens this season. But, yeah, something to watch. Um, they're, they're also a very good team. Uh, cool. I think anything anything else? Do we really want to relive anything else up this weekend? I think weekend? we've relived everything as much as we can at this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, Good thing the World Cup is on to take our minds off of this. Hey, next game starts in 20 minutes. Yeah, it will. Uh, I don't know if there's any Bruins on Canada's team. Probably not, but don't uh, Canada, Belgium team. coming up. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, we will, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, we will catch you next time, and go Bruins. Go Bruins.